big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. Welcome, Jeff Noel. Thank you. Now, how many times a day do people mispronounce your last name? <laughs> well, um, be it's, honest. It's uh, it's it, usually they mispronounce it. They, I, I've, I, I'm Canole. Canole I'm Knowles. Knowles. Um, uh, but uh, that's usually one of those two, and, and frequently. So I like to uh, prepare for these interviews a little bit, and and uh, I, I have to admit I got a little nervous because there's there's at least two Jeff Knowles, right? There's there's uh, there's the uh, longtime regional councillor, very serious politician. Then there's the fun-loving cinema owner. Are you a uh, full-time councillor, or are you and a full-time cinema owner? I mean, I'm not. I'm not good at math. Can you be both? Can you be both? Well, I guess it's. Uh, I would. I'm probably more of a full-time councillor and a part-time cinema operator. I'm very lucky and blessed to have a great team around me at the business. So uh, I'm able to, uh, I'm able to continue my business pursuits while also uh, being an effective regional counselor. At least I think I'm effective. I, mean, I hope I've, I'm effective. I mean, I've seen you there. So, I mean, in anticipation of this interview, of course, I had to go to the theater and now I didn't see you in person there. No. So you had people, but but you had a couple of videos running prior to the... My presence is always very much known at the theater. <laughs> Normally, there's one video with you in it, and this time there was two videos. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was taking furiously taking notes while I was watching a movie, so... Um, okay, so we're recording this two days after the Academy Awards. Right. So I almost threw out all my questions because of uh, what happened at the Academy Awards. I mean, I was in bed on, and, uh, on Twitter, and this was... Everyone's going... Oh my God! Oh my! Yeah. Like what's going on? And then, yeah. which was too bad because it was, it was a pretty good show, especially in the absence of uh, a real Oscars uh, event for two years. It was a pretty good show, and to have that happen, it really distracted from some of the other performances some and the of winners, the, other, yeah. the people that the movies that won. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that and that's sad. I mean, there was a really touching moment at the end between Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli that I think you know for many people uh, that sort of is is that should probably be the the punctuation yeah. at the end of this this wonderful show, but unfortunately, it's going to be this this terrible altercation between these two, yeah. you know, Hollywood, you know, legends. Makes it memorable. You'll never forget. You'll it. never forget never where forget you it. were on the night of I the ninety uh, fourth uh, Academy Awards. I was in bed. That's where I was. I'll never forget <laughs> being in bed and on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so something happened to you when you were thirteen. I've done some research. Oh dear. Something happened to you when you were thirteen. You got a job in a cinema. Yes. What did you do? <laughs> well, it's an interesting story because uh, I had been hanging around uh, a local movie theater, um, I guess as a mascot for a while. Uh, was always fascinated with the movies. And, and uh, actually, I should back up just a little bit before. Before that happened, I was actually already into audiovisual things and helped in the AV squad at school. And um, But I, I, I started this little, I guess, movie theater of my own. I would I would borrow a 16 millimeter projector from the a local branch of the Windsor Public Library, borrow some movies, set it up at a local community center that I was able to borrow and uh, show films to the neighborhood kids. I think it was a quarter a piece and I'd pop popcorn and I, I got a, an orange pop loner uh, machine from McDonald's and I was uh, the richest kid in, in school, but I was also 
rapidly becoming quite infatuated with uh, the exhibition business. Um, and shortly after that, uh, after somebody finally figured out that I was breaking copyright rules, um, I, uh, <laughs> I started hanging out at uh, the Centre Theatre in Windsor, um, which was this beautiful old single screen theatre with a balcony. And uh, um, I got to know all the staff. And like I said, I was kind of the mascot. And I recall uh, one day I was there, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and the manager was short-staffed and said, you know, how old are you? And I said, I'm, I'm 13. And he said, oh, you're 14. I said, no, I'm 13. <laughs> he said, oh, so you're 14. I'm still not understanding what he's doing. He says, okay, here's the deal. You're 14 and you're here all the time anyway. Why don't I pay you for being here and you actually help me out because I don't have enough staff to operate the matinee today. And basically, I have not looked back since that day. So when you were 13, did you ever think that you'd be, I don't know, 30 years old and owning, owning a theater someday? I, I kind of had my mind set on that at that point. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I loved it. I, I had a couple passions at the time. One was working in the theater business. Other was making movies. Um, and I was already actively engaged doing that with my, my little friends in the neighborhood with an old wind-up 8-millimeter camera that... Uh, uh, my father had got rescued from one of his friends and, uh, and politics, believe it or not. I was already into politics. I used to go door to door and hung around campaign offices when time would, uh, when the time was right and, uh, was already involved in, in mostly federal politics at that time. Did you read Marvel or DC? Uh, actually neither. I was a sci-fi guy. Uh, right. I was, I was reading, uh, Arthur, C. And... Arthur C. Clarke was wow. and is my favorite author. Uh, uh, Childhood's End was one of my favorite books. Uh, the original, his original short stories, like The Sentinel, which eventually became 2001. Um, so that was, that, those were my, those were my favorite books. So this whole Marvel revolution in the, in the theaters is, means nothing to you then? Oh, it means a lot to me because that's, uh, that's frankly, the, it's, it's, that's where the bread is those about. tentpole movies are really what, um, you know, makes our business successful. I mean, we need those big films. Uh, you know, peppered in throughout the year in order to, uh, you know, keep the lights on and the rent paid. So I, when I was a kid, I, I read DC, but mm-hmm. I collected Marvel uh, comics as a teen, as a, as an investment. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't oh. read the Marvel. Wish I, I had would done put that. them in plastic, but I have like three Black Panther number ones. Oh my goodness. And then I go, well, how much is that worth? And it's like, they're about $250 each. Wow. So, so I'm going to retire. <laughs> I'm going to sell my three Black Panther uh, copies and well, I had I had the model of the chariot from Lost in Space. Uh, I don't know if you remember that TV yes, show. Yes, of course. Um, and I had managed to acquire um, this toy of the chariot, and uh, I saw recently. I, I don't have it anymore. Uh, I saw recently they were selling on eBay for five or six hundred dollars, and I was kicking myself for selling that at some garage sale at some point for probably two bucks. So, favorite movie mm-hmm. of all time? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have two. Actually, uh, one is, one's probably edges out the other, but one is, uh, most definitely it's a wonderful life. Um, and the second, uh, is contact Carl Sagan's contact. Okay. Haven't, I've seen one of those. Which one? Uh, well, it's a wonderful life. Of course. Of course. So Frank Capra. So I was kind of, people are like into punk music, punk rock and stuff. I'm, I'm Frank Capra, then Spielberg and, and, you know, sort of the, but I do miss, um, just adult movies, not not adult Ooh, movies. I okay. mean, adult. We don't mu- play those movies. kind of movies, Jim. But it's the it's the you know it's like the seventies, like a Jack Nicholson yeah, movie yeah. or something. So I kind of you know I wish there was more of or of that. So you loved 
film and movies, but you didn't go to film school. So well, I kind was of, that ever an issue? Was that ever? I kind of did. I took, uh, I, I, I majored in political science and communication studies. Okay. Uh, and communication studies is sort of the academic side of film and television. So I, I focused largely on sort of, you know, broadcast act and, and, and kind of the, the business behind uh, film and television. We, we spent a fair amount of time in studio um, okay. in our labs, but it, was, it wasn't technically film school. It was communication studies. I think film school at that time was more a vocational pursuit. Um, I wanted to go to film school, but uh, there wasn't anything really available where I was at the time. But uh, I got a good, I got a good rounded education. I produced some student films while I was there in some of the film classes, but not really the kind of intensive education that the, uh, uh, the young folks get at Sheridan or Ryerson now when they're in the film program there. So you were living a relatively normal life. Uh, and then in 1999, I believe, you bought a second-run theater in Burlington. 98. Actually, 98, okay. 98 we actually uh, took over what used to be the Plaza Theater in Oakville. Um, okay. It had been uh, closed years before by Canadian Odeon. When Canadian Odeon was uh, acquired by Cineplex, um, they had, at that time, during that period, they had this twin-screen theater behind what uh, was until a few years ago, the Shoppers Drug Mart at Kerr and Spears, right next door to where our current location is. Okay. Um, and the, the Shoppers Drug Mart had taken over a good part of the theater and turned it into storage space. I had wanted to get back into the business. Um, I had taken my kids and some of their friends to see Flubber, actually, Robin Williams Flubber, at uh, the New Silver City at the time, in, uh, just uh, uh, in Mississauga, across the street from Oakville up there in Dundas and was alarmed at the fact that in 19, was that 87? I think it was 87 or $88. Uh, I spent over $140 to take uh, my kids, two of their friends and my wife, Michelle, to see this, this movie. And I just thought at the time, like, how can, how can a regular family be able to do this? This isn't what the film industry really is supposed to be. It's supposed to be accessible and pedestrian. And so I, I set out, I said, I'm going to get back into this business at that point. I had uh, been working at Queens Park at the time and was really kind of tired of being an assistant. Um, and so decided, uh, you know, I'm going to maybe get back into film exhibition full time, looked for the theater, found this little location in Oakville and uh, was actually still living in Etobicoke at the time, um, but working for a local MPP in Oakville. Um, and uh, we... We, we raised some money and renovated the theater and turned it back into a theater um, and got it open on August 25th, 1998. Okay, so this is Oakville. This is Oakville. Yep. Okay, so some of my Googling, Googling is, 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 is inaccurate. Your Googler uh, might be broken. Well, I'm going to have to get a new <laughs> Google then. Um, but, but the 1999 theater was Burlington. Uh, we, okay. had, we, we actually at one point had three locations. Oh. So we took over another Cineplex in Burlington. It was the little, uh, it was a sixplex on Brant Street. And right. it was uh, one of Garth Drabinsky's original theaters when he started Cineplex way before right. uh, he was Cineplex Odeon, back when he was uh, Cineplex and Garth and Nat Taylor, yeah. uh, you know, put together this little company and opened up some of these really tiny right. theaters. So that we picked up that one in 99. And then later in 99, we also picked up uh, uh, a theater in Mississauga, the Central Parkway Cinemas. So then in 2012, 2013, they were no longer going to allow you to run 35 millimeter prints. Right. You closed the Burlington Theater. Right. Then you were forced with a huge expense to to renovate, really, the 
Oakville Theater mm-hmm. and turn it all into digital. So that was sort of a fork in the road for you, I guess. Well, it was a it was a fork in the road for us, and it was a dark time for independent theaters. I mean, right. to, to just as a slight bit of background, independent movie theaters are few and far between now. It's become a very difficult industry to work within, mostly because of the way that films are distributed uh, across North America. Um, big chains seem to have the monopoly, and, and even more so in Canada, because we only have. Uh, well, we have only have one now, but we used to only have two, and they generally split up the uh, the film. So being an independent meant you had to have a niche, uh, or you're playing second run, or you were lucky enough to be in a smaller community that was distant from a larger one where you could play first run films. Um, so it's difficult to be an independent at all. When the industry makes such a wholesale change as converting from traditional film to digital, there was a huge capital cost that went along with that because... All of the projectors had to be changed out. The sound processors had to be changed out. All of that investment uh, that we had in the projection booth with five screens in, in Oakville and six in Burlington, uh, we, we, faced, we basically faced extinction, just like a lot of independent theaters failed at that time. So we chose to close Burlington because they were very small auditoriums, and it was very difficult to justify $100,000 per auditorium. Not that we had $100,000 or $600,000 sitting around uh, to convert Burlington, but to convert that theater would have been way more than what it could have generated in revenue. So we, we the lease was ending. We chose to end it at the end of uh, uh, 2012. And in 2013, we struggled through with Oakville uh, with the expectation we probably had two years before the change was going to happen. The studios pretty much changed their trajectory because um, almost every independent, or sorry, almost every major theater was either completely uh, uh, they had completed their transformation or they were close to doing that. So they moved their date up. So we were actually at a point in 2013 where we weren't able to play some of the biggest films of the year. Like one of the biggest movies of the year that year was Despicable Me. It was a huge animated success, but it was only available digitally. We couldn't get a 35 millimeter print. And so we were missing playing some of the key tentpole films that year. And it was really starting to hurt. It was October of 2013 that I decided that was it. I'm packing it in. And uh, this is a quite a fascinating story. And there's, a, there's an intersection between my favorite movie and this story. And I'll tell you in just a moment. Um, but uh, I decided I was going to just pack it in and focus on my political things. I had had a great run in the exhibition business. But there's just no way we could. Um, we, we, first of all, we didn't have, Oakville was going to be well over a million dollars to do the conversion because of the size of the auditoriums and um, a number of other issues. But it was going to be a very big expenditure plus making up for the losses that we had incurred up to that point because it became very difficult even to get people into the theaters when you didn't have a digital a fully digital complex we had one digital projector we'd been able to scrape together the money for but we still needed four more um and so we we said that's it we're just going to we're going to close it down um and i remember sending a letter out to our big mailing list and to my friends and family and said you know we're going to do this the right way we're giving all of our staff notice this is so this is, you know, notice to our staff. This is our notice to our customers. At the end of, I think I gave it to two weeks. At the end of two weeks, we're going to uh, close the doors. So uh, we really appreciate the business. Forever. We hope to see, yeah, we were just going to walk away from it and, and you know, wind it up and, and, and move on. Because, there's, again, it was, just, it was very difficult. And we wouldn't be the first uh, and certainly wouldn't have been the last to do that because, again, it was this big challenge. It was this huge capital cost. And, it was, you know, it's, it's just it's hard to borrow money and it's expensive and all those sorts of things. 
And so this, this letter went out and I, I said, like, if there's, and this is where the connection for It's a Wonderful Life, the, the letter that I sent out was themed after It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, I sort of made the comparison between, you know, George Bailey contemplating his life and, and uh, said, like, if there's, if there's a Sam Wainwright out there, <laughs> right. we'd love to hear from you now or forever hold your peace. And I sort of did that tongue in cheek. I wasn't expecting any white knights to come rolling in with a great big check, you know, or a big investment. But uh, what happened uh, the next morning, I remember sending a letter out, hit send on my, on my email program. I watched a TV show or two, went to bed, woke up the next morning, ready to start this process of winding things up. And when I woke up, my email box was just full. It was, you know, I, I, I scrolled through pages and pages and pages of emails and, and oddly enough, money. People had, people had been sending me money. They just like voluntarily started sending funds and said, you know, you have to survive. You have to keep the business going. This is what I can afford. I can give you $50. I can give you, you know, And it was, it was, it was incredible. And I didn't, I mean, I was speechless and I I knew that it was a very nice gesture. um, And it was, it was very welcome, but it was not really what we needed to survive because, you know, you know, a couple thousand dollars wasn't going to save the day, but the, the, the thought was just like, I was, I was overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude and everything else. Um, so I sent another email and they said, gee, this is, this is great. Thank you so much. It really makes me feel great about the time we've invested in the community, but it didn't stop. And 48 hours later, there's $50,000 sitting in PayPal. <laughs> and I was like, you know, how wow. is there a way I can make this work? Um, and then, and then I got a few more emails and I think three individuals contacted me and said, you know, I'm applying for the job, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm applying for the job of being your Sam Rainwright. You're Sam Rainwright, can I come by and see you? <laughs> and so I, I sat down with three uh, individuals that, ha- you know, had a fair amount of, of uh, money available to them um, and, or had little investment groups behind them. And sure enough, one three of them- Three separate people? Three separate people, not wow. connected. Um, one didn't really, didn't really want to uh, go through with it because they, I think at the end of the day, they thought maybe it was a little bit too risky because at that point, it's not charity. Now it's, it's a serious investment. Um, and then there, it was down to two people. And then one, one fellow, David Jenkins, uh, just had such enthusiasm for the business. He was a customer. He was, you know, he had very similar viewpoints to mine and had this kind of, uh, you know, attitude and this kid-like attitude about, about, you know, uh, our business. And, uh, so I linked up with him and he had this little investor group come together and they shored us up and, and with the, between the capital that we raised from the community and the capital that our Sam Wainwright, uh, came forward with, we were able to, uh, uh, buy the equipment we needed and, and carry on, um, you know, in our business. It was not easy, um, because we still had a lot of, you know, it, it, we still had a lot of, uh, 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 revenue to catch up on because of that terrible 2013 year. So, but we did, and we were able to put the equipment in, we got new seats, we renovated the lobby, we put in some more offerings in the snack bar, we added pizza and we've made the, the experience much better. We rebranded, we got away from the old Encore brand and moved to our corporate name, which was always film.ca cinemas. And so we said, Hey, let's you know embrace the, you know, the, the new E world. And, uh, so we actually turned our corporate name and our URL into our company name. And, and that's where we, uh, that's where we landed and that's where we are today. So I'm going to inject a little levity into <laughs> the proceedings here sure. before getting dark again. But, oh dear. Uh, so true or false? Three, I have three t- true or false sure. questions for sure. you. True or false? Is, is the Jeffy verse is a real thing? <laughs> 
in my own mind, maybe, but uh, yeah, okay. I had to explain uh, that uh, joke to my wife uh, when we went to a movie the other yeah. day. Uh, and for those listening, you're going to have to uh, go to more movies to uh, f- figure that joke out. Do credit goes to uh, uh-huh. one of our, our managers who's a film student, uh, a, a graduate film student. And uh, we challenge, we, we hire a lot of people <laughs> in film. And we said, because we have this virtual video campaign that we've been doing for years. And I won't spoil so that people can use their Googlers and figure out what the <laughs> heck we're talking about. But uh, he came up with this really fun little script. And that, that's where that came from. Well, I, I, because of uh, just leaks on the internet, I, I knew what the joke was. Okay. But of course, is, there's nothing worse than having to explain a joke to, well, you see, there's this thing that <laughs> happens in a movie that neither of us have seen, and yeah. but I know because, and meanwhile, we're missing key dialogue, of course. So, so true or false, the Batman is too long. Very true. Three hours long. Yeah, that's, that's way too long. People need to learn how to edit. <laughs> we need to, we need to, we need a, Jeff, we need a, we need a bathroom break in yeah. the middle. Certainly when you... Well, it's interesting, you know, in, in, in most European theaters, there is a intermission. It's, it's, it, we just gotten away from that in North America. We were just joking about that the other day at the theater that maybe we should, we should be the leaders and reinstate intermissions in movies because they all seem to be getting so long. Um, so true or false, uh, pandemics are not long enough. <laughs> false. I told you it was, I told you it was going to get dark. <laughs> that is pretty dark. So during the, the worst of the pandemic, Yes, I remember walking past local businesses and thinking about how difficult it must be for them. I mean, it's you know, I was I felt sorry for myself, but I also felt you know sorry for every business that had rent to pay mm-hmm. and, and probably had to lay off employees. You know, and and I walked you know yours your business included, um, and, and you know at one point you were closed for eight consecutive months, right? So. You know what was that like for you? I mean, it's not an easy. Well, it was. It was. It was another horrible. challenge. It was another challenge, and we. And you know, I, I've only identified the one, the digital challenge. We've had challenges in the past around getting access to films. We had a fight about that in two thousand, and and so we we we're we're used to the adversity <laughs> that comes with you know being a, a you know a rebel in an industry that that is traditionally very corporate and very well healed and so the pandemic presented this new challenge to us we closed um we closed voluntarily before we were ordered closed because we knew that in the public interest this was not you know a movie theater if, if particularly in light of the lack of information a movie theater is probably not the place to be um right. in in you know in, in the early days of a pandemic so we closed uh, I, I think 48 or 24 hours before the province said you you must close um but it was it was terrifying because we um, you know we we rent our property um, and even if we didn't rent it we'd likely have a mortgage we rent our property and the rent bill is is almost sixty thousand dollars a month right. and you know if you're down even a couple of days you're starting to really your cash flow is really starting to suffer at that point so um, you know we, it was really quite a panic and and you know everybody was originally in those early days saying oh it's thirty days it's a it's a circuit breaker reset we're going to get people and and I don't think I, I don't think I, I believed that, but I hoped for it. Um, and as we closed down, you know, I kept on as many of the staff that I could, uh, the staff that had families to support, we kept on. And, uh, 
fortunately, the government, uh, you know, supported us through their wage subsidy program. So we got a lot of little behind the scenes work done, but I also deployed the staff to do some community services as well. So we had, we collected uh, personal protective equipment, PPE at the theater, for example, we worked yep. with some local physicians and we collected PPE and stored it there. And we had a couple of days where um, medical professionals that needed it uh, lined up and there were a big lineup out the door onto Spears. It was uh, both exciting, but terrifying. Um, and they got their PP. We had a, a volunteer food bank, book bank, toy bank on our front porch where um, you didn't have to come into the building. And if you needed food because you couldn't shop or you had financial challenges, you can come and get food. And, you know, if you if you're getting bored and you wanted a book, there was a book exchange and we had videos, uh, DVDs, we had toys, puzzles, all sorts of things on our front porch that we monitored and we made sure everything was safe. And, and so we, we did things like that to keep ourselves busy uh, and to support our community during that time we were closed. And 30 days stretched out to 60 days and to 90 days and to 120 days and things got pretty, pretty rough there for a while. But uh, we kept our spirits up and, you know, we kept looking, you know, looking towards that, that light in the future, that, that, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel that we would uh, hopefully not take us somewhere, but, but deliver us back to uh, a solvent uh, environment again. And, 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 you know, people at home, they, you know, discovered the joys of, you know, Amazon having products delivered directly to your house. And of course, viewing mm. habits changed even more than it had already changed. Yes. The, the studios held off their big movies as long as they could. Um, but eventually they started to put their first run movies on streaming services. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. must have driven you nuts. At the time, when it was happening, I understood it. So, I mean, studios are businesses too. And, you know, actors have to be paid and yes. directors have to be paid and all those people behind the scenes that, you know, don't make millions of dollars, they need to be paid. And so that industry needed to continue to be solvent as well. And we understood that. So the idea of streaming movies while we were, while the theaters were closed and, and there was, you know, at various points in time, particularly in those early days, every movie theater in North America was closed. In fact, most theaters around the planet were closed. So there was no outlet for films other than through digital means. And so I understood the studios wanting to put films onto digital um, platforms. It made sense. Um, and I think it was a way to keep people um, entertained as well during a very difficult time. They needed, they needed that outlet for for entertainment. What happened was, is that, you know, the studios really liked digital streaming and they were discovering that it was a very lucrative uh, exercise, particularly when they owned and operated their own streaming service. So it wasn't as if they were cutting a deal with Netflix and sharing the revenue. You know, Disney had, you know, fairly recently launched Disney Plus and they discovered that if they put their films directly on their own platform, they keep a hundred cents in the dollar instead of splitting it with a distributor and splitting it with a, a, um, an exhibitor. As we opened, we had a brief period, as you recall, in the mid, the, our, so, our pandemic sojourn, so to speak, where we were able to open for a while. Um, and uh, we were immediately faced with the fact that films that we had counted on, the studios had either decided to release them only to streaming or to do what's known in the industry as day and dating, which means that you release them, release them simultaneously. And that was um, and is a very scary proposition for us because we've always in our industry relied on having that window, that period of time before um, digital delivery or, or DVD delivery or whichever format to, to basically have exclusivity or exclusive rights over that film. In the world of film, the, produ the producers pay their bills. This is sort of the way it works. They pay their bills 
through the theatrical release. They pay for the cost of them through the theatrical release, and they make their profit off of the ancillary licensing or the ancillary release, whether it be, as I said, DVD, streaming, broadcast, uh, airlines, whichever whichever you know venue they're they're using. Um, but uh, for 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 many many years, uh, you know, in, in every challenge that came to movie theaters, whether it was television, then it was color television, then it was you know, pay-per-view or, or not pay-per-view, but uh, movie channels. And it was pay-per-view and then it was, uh, you know, DVD and beta and VHS and, and, and then eventually streaming, uh, all these streaming channels. Every challenge that came along, theaters were always, you know, doomed in the eyes of, of the economists and, and those that watched the industry. But we always survived. But this is the first time when the studios have said, but we really, really like keeping hundred cents on the dollar. And so we had, for example, this past March break, which Disney usually, you know, gets us a film over March break, you know, for the kids to see. Um, and usually it's, it's sometimes coincides with American or state um, March breaks and often with ours, but usually during the Canadian March break or the Ontario March break, we have one really good um, kids film to play. And it's invariably from Disney. Well, this year they went direct to video with uh, Going Red. Uh, which was, um, you know, the latest Pixar offering um, and ironically shot uh, uh, on the backdrop of Toronto. It was animated, but it was all set in Toronto. And they they exclusively released that to video. After, you know, we'd been promoting it, it had been on all our screens, we had posters up, we were ready to play it, and they made the decision to pull it. So for us, that broke our hearts and really hurt our, our bank account. And it's really indicative of where we are as an industry right now. So Jeff, this is a safe space, right? <laughs> right. At your lowest point, yes. Did you consider getting your own Netflix account? Well, I have a Netflix account. I, I am a movie fan. I have a Netflix account. I'm a I'm a Disney zealot. I have a Disney Plus account. Um, you know, but again, I I use it the way they should be used, and that's to augment the experience <laughs> at the theater, not to replace it. So in January of this year, mm-hmm. you had your own Jerry Maguire moment. You you were you, where you published an open letter to the community was in the in the local paper as well. Uh, tell me about it. You you sound, if felt from that you were beyond frustrated. This is again in the waning days. We all know the pandemic's yeah. over, but uh, okay, it's not over. It's not over. It's uh, but but you were beyond frust- frustrated. In well, this I I was beyond frustrated because I I you know I. I for full disclosure, I mean, in addition to being a cinema operator, you mentioned earlier, I'm also a regional counselor, which makes me a member of the Board of Health. And right. I am I am totally on side with the public health precautions that we've taken. I've never complained about the health precautions that we've taken. I've been supportive of the public health professionals and their advice and have done everything I've been told to do. I got my vaccinations when I was supposed to, and I've been wearing my mask, you know, religiously and, and I promote that and defend it with great, um, with, with, you know, with great support, with, with great, with great energy. Um, but what I saw is decisions being made that weren't being made on a scientific basis, particularly as it, as it applies to, to business in December, we were open. We had been allowed to open earlier that fall and business was a little slow. Well, no, honestly, it was devastatingly slow, but we had this one bright shining hope in December and that was the release of Spider-Man. So we open up Spider-Man and literally the day after we open it, the province comes out with this, this, this new order that theaters can remain open, but they can't serve food or beverage. 
And to a movie theater, that's, that's essentially- That's how you make your money. Really. Well, it's, it's, it's one of the ways we make money. Uh, right. And it's an important piece. And it's, you, know, you can't take one out and, and still have the other. It doesn't work. Um, you need, you need really great films to bring people to buy food and you need food to bring people to the theater. And so we were basically told you can, you can operate, but you can't, you can't allow, you can't sell food and you can't consume food or beverage in the theater. So you can't even allow your customers to bring in their own food. So now we're put in this position where we have to fight with our customers because they're sneaking in food. They don't understand the rules. They think we're making the rules and we're packing theaters. We're selling out shows. And it was like, for us, it was, it was that light at the end of the tunnel I've been waiting for, that, that, that bright shining star in the hill um, that we were waiting for, and it got stolen from us literally the day after. And it was done with like literally no scientific basis at all because there have been, there, up to that point, and I believe still to this day, there's not been a case of COVID uh, connected to a movie theater anywhere, anywhere on the planet. And that's predominantly because of the way you sit in theaters, the way that we have very high ceilings and very high velocity air exchange in theaters. You actually quote a German study. In yeah, your, that, in your there was writer. a German study that actually tested these theories and it, and it, and it held true. I mean, and, and not, not to mention the fact that we as an industry have been very vigilant about maintaining uh, cleanliness standards way beyond what most businesses do in terms of, you know, sanitizing seats, using uh, uh, aerosolized um, disinfectants and such in order to, um, in order to not just not just you know um, uh, talk about it, but to actually do something about it, to do you know what it takes to yeah. to deal with the contact issues and such. So for them to turn around and say, for the province to turn around and say, you know, yeah, you can operate, but yeah, you can't sell can't sell food. It's sort of like saying to the you know to the Maple Leafs, you can play hockey, but you can't use sticks. I mean, that's essentially where where right. we were, where we were. We we had and so and that's where the letter came from. It was very frustrating because we were really. We really expected that we were going to be able to, um, you know, start to rebuild after the the devastation of the pandemic uh, occurred, um, and and um, you know it was just taken away from us. And so, um, you know, we 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 had the Christmas season to make a lot of money, which is one of the the key seasons of the year for us. We we live for Christmas, March break, and summer. Those were our biggest periods. So we summer had we'd already lost half a summer, and even the half a summer that we were allowed to operate last year. Uh, was only okay, um, and because we we were able to open late July and into August, there wasn't a lot released. Plus, we were fighting with the studios about getting films. The fall, when we were allowed to reopen, you know, there's no there's no real business in the fall. We had James Bond, which was great, um, but we were really we were really banking on that Christmas. So when they took it away from us, that's when the frustration hit I, I, across the board, across Ontario and in other jurisdictions where they did the same thing. And so that's when that we really started to hammer back and say, listen, like we've been here for you. We, we support what you're trying to do. We will take reductions in capacity. We will do whatever you want us to do, but please do not take away our ability to generate revenue because we are essentially subsidizing every ticket that walks in the door um, if we can't sell food. And, and sure enough, they made the change, but it was made kind of late. And so yeah. late, late January, we were able to, you know, turn the, popcorn machine back on. Well, I really admire like in the letter too, your, your transparency in the sense that you, for every $10 of tickets sold and then you broke down what, what I get to keep, what I have to give to the government, what uh, we have to give back to the movie studios, which is a chunk. A big chunk, especially that film, especially Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, so it's different film to film. So they know it's a hit, big giant hit and they want to make their money back. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you hopeful for the future of in-person cinema in general? 
The jury's out. Um, I mean, I think that the audiences are, are, are willing to come back, and we've seen that when we have great films, the audiences come back. Um, the real issue is going to be around the studios and how the studios are going to continue to um, uh, control films, control the flow of films. Uh, we need we need family films. Like we we we're opening Sonic uh, this coming Thursday, um, you know. And if you're if you're watching this, you know, in repeat, it's April first, twenty twenty two. We're talking about or March thirty first, twenty twenty two. But that's really the first big family film that we've we've been able to play. And that's and and the the pent up demand for that family film is huge. Like we're booking birthday parties and we're getting all kinds of interest in pre sales and tickets. But it can't be the exception. It needs to be the rule. We need to have more family films, and we need to have more adultish films, not not, not adult the films. I, yeah, I not a, not adult films, but adultish films. The the crowd, the films for the thirty five forty plus crowd. We need those, and we need, of course, the temples are always available to us because that's where they make their bread and butter. Uh, but without without getting back to a a a, uh, a sense of normality or or a normal releasing pattern. Um, we could be in trouble, as can the whole industry. Um, and, you know, we're pushing back as hard as we can um, to try to to do that. Now, we're, we're trying to find pivots. You know, we're trying to pivot our business to find new ways to generate revenue and to excite people about, uh, you know, different offerings. But that's a, hard, that's a hard slog. You know what I miss, though? I mean, I went to a movie the other day, as I think I told you, but uh, um, it's the trailers. Mm-hmm. And it's those surprise trailers. Mm-hmm. So... And and one was Elvis. I go, mm-hmm. oh, and and oh, Tom, that's Tom Hanks mm-hmm. in it. So this is going to be good. That's like the is probably going to be good. Yeah, Tom Hanks usually equals good. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then and then the other one is it's a movie that the studios have held back, mm-hmm. which is Top Gun. Yes, right. Yes, you know, and there's all these in the trailers that you're going. There it is. It's Top Gun. First time I've seen any of it. And if there's all these in jokes referencing back to the first movie. Mm-hmm. Again, I have to explain it to my wife what the what the jokes are. There's they're playing volleyball shirtless on the street. It's yeah. on the beach. It's it's hilarious. You don't get it. Okay. <laughs> um, are you uh, so? Are you looking to a f- uh, forward to a summer of Top Gun? Well, I mean, this this is one of these tentpole movies, and yeah. a movie like Top Gun is the movie you have to see on a big screen because the you know the the aerial acrobatics. Um, Tom Cruise with a shirt on, all those sorts of things, you know, you have to see on the big screen. Maybe I could do without Tom Cruise. Yes. Anyway, the, yeah, those are the tentpole films. So yes, we, but the, one film is not going to make our summer. You need a, you need a series, you need basically a film every week uh, that opens just like over the Christmas holidays that has some kind of, uh, um, you know, mass appeal. And particularly during the summer, you need, um, you need family-based films. Now, Disney just uh, on the day of the Oscars, confirm that Lightyear, which is the new uh, animated backstory about Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story, okay. apparently it is coming to theaters. We okay. we felt that it, it, you know, as has become the Pixar curse, that Pixar was going to release it like they did with Luca and they did with uh, 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 Going Red. Um, we thought they were going to end up turning around and releasing that direct video but sure enough, they've confirmed it's going to be in theaters in June. So that's very good. So I won't say quite that I'm I'm fully convinced we are on the men yet, but there's some good signs. There's there's life in the there's life in the carcass yet, and so <laughs> that's kind of a gross analogy. But it's a it's grim. yeah, it's a little grim. But uh, but it's been a grim period for us. But it's yeah. uh, but it is entertaining. Um, the you know I think that there's there's the poss- there's the very good possibility, and there are some some glimmers of hope. Um, uh, you know that we we can return. Um, 
you know, again, we've survived as a business since the days of the, the depression. And, you know, when, when every other business failed, you know, the one business that stayed alive during that whole depression period were movie theaters. You know, when, when the war came out, movie theaters became, you know, World War II happened, movie theaters were the places people got their, their news and they, they raised money for the war effort. When TV came out, you know, it was, theaters were doomed and sure enough, people were still running back to the theaters. When all the digital transfer, the digital uh, delivery of films came out, not only did people still go to movie theaters, but more movie, more money was generated for the film industry to produce bigger and better and more films. And so there's always been this, 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 you know, risk and recovery wave that we've seen historically for almost a hundred years now. Um, and so I think if there's, if there's people of goodwill in our industry that recognize that history has important lessons to learn from, then they will support the exhibition industry and continue to release films uh, in the traditional theatrical, um, you know, early window um, going forward. Well, I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your time, Traffic. Thanks for coming by. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.